Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, we're live. One, two, What's up, everybody? Welcome to West Five Pod, podcast about WVU, the Big 12, and spoiled fan bases. I'm Joel Bracken at WV Stats Guy. He is Jordan Pinto at Game Day Shorts. Jordan, we are under one month until college football. How does that make you feel? Uh, I was talking about my talking about uh, to my friends about this this week. Like, literally, this is um, so 2018 was a big season. Uh, just because we were going to be good. But I think this is as excited as I've been for a season in probably a decade. Um, you know, combination of who we play, I think we might be sneaky good. Like, I I could not be more excited right now. Like, I'm just finally booked a hotel for Pitt last night. Like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. Beautiful. Yeah, they say this is the best time of year for college football content because – I think just the way college football goes, optimism is at an all-time high for every team. Absolutely um, peaking right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so everybody's brimming over and everybody's uh, feeling good about the squad, including myself. So uh, we're going to ride that high because that's what college football is about. So, uh, yeah, under a month, cannot wait. Yeah, man. So it's time to run the hill. Joel's running the hill this week. He's got three sprints up. And uh, speaking of riding that high, optimism, Big part of that is uh, is the coach speak that we're getting um, out of that first week of fall camp. So, Joel, your first question: What is your favorite storyline from the first week of fall camp? Yeah, so just been listening to some of the pressers, um, and you know, just exciting to hear him talking football again. Um, I specifically like Graham Harrell's press. Uh, he's just a fun guy to listen to. Um, I, I just think the way he talks about football is pretty pretty interesting and pretty fun. Um, you know, just a couple of things that caught my ear. Uh, the first thing would be Asani Redwood. Um, hearing that he's gained 90 pounds since he started playing college football is absurd to me. And that's over half of what I weigh. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you productively put on 90 pounds. That, I, like, you know, the nutrition staff, there's actually like a video on what WVU does in the nutrition and the weight room and all that stuff. And it's so interesting to me. So that definitely uh, caught my ear. But, you know, lots of, lots of coach speak. Um, you hear some stuff about the quarterbacks, you know, there, there's all the like the tropes of like, you know, the early, early fall ball. Um, one thing I also like hearing was uh, Jordan Leslie talking about uh, Kogba being the quarterback of the defense at the uh, the Mike linebacker position. Um, man, like we should have bought stock stock year, uh, months ago on uh, Kogba because, man, he just keeps popping up in every presser and every news article. And um, yeah, we're, we're riding high on that preseason optimism. So. Uh, yeah, those are just some of the things that caught me here. Anything, uh, anything that you uh, stood out to you? Man, I, like Jordan Leslie was having to stop himself from smiling when he was talking about Kogba, man. He was yeah. like, he's like he's talking about his son. Um, I'm obviously super high on Kogba. Um, so 
I, I absorb immediately all of the cookbook content that I can. Um, completely agree about Graham Harrell. It has to be fun to play for that guy, right? Like just the way the guy, the guy's optimistic. Um, I feel like he thinks and talks about football in an interesting way. I feel like it's probably, um, probably a little dose of confidence that, that our offense has definitely needed, um, over the last couple of years. You know, I feel like we've been a little bit of a, uh, don't, don't mess things up as opposed to let's go, let's go take, take some shit on and, you know, go, go, go score some points. So, um, I think I think the mindset uh, definitely uh, definitely what we needed offensively. Um, we'll see how the play calls string together, but um, just in terms of the attitude adjustment, I think that's been super productive. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, the one other. So uh, I've been I've been super high on CJ Donaldson um, for forever. I uh, loved his highlight tape when he committed. Um, loved him on the camp circuit this spring, and just absolutely. Uh, you know, hard, hard to contain my enthusiasm. I heard uh, Chad Scott said he's, he's officially switched to play uh, running back this week and he's gained 20 pounds since, uh, since his senior year of high school. So he's, he's walking around at six two two forty right now. They're saying that if, if Pitt was this week, the guy would play. Um, so I think anytime you get a Swiss army knife like him, where he'll probably line up all over the formation, mm-hmm. um, running back, H back, tight end, um, super athletic guy, true freshman, all of those things, you know, just, and you talk about how it's the hope that kills you. Like it, it's hard not to get into those things in the middle of August, right? When you're hearing that kind of stuff about a true freshman. So um, I think that's, that's probably my sneaky favorite. Uh, hey, you're, really. you're allowed to enjoy sports. Like we can be realistic <laughs> yeah, right. and we can, you know, but like, it's fun. You can get high on your team. This is the time to do it. There's nothing wrong with it. Like I was going to say mid mid August is sometimes easier than mid October. So exactly. Like everyone, everyone can buy in right now and, and there's no problem in doing so. Like it's fun. Go for it. Yeah. I think we got some studs. I'm, I'm excited. So yeah, I'm, I'm all in for that. For sure. Okay. Uh, catch your breath, walk on down to the bottom of the hill. Cause we're getting ready to go up for, for, for sprint two here. Um, so second question, um, which position battle are you most interested in or most concerned by? Yeah, looking on the offense, I'm not sure there's a lot, a lot there of note. I mean, obviously, like, you know, you hear the stuff about the quarterbacks. I know um, Brown has kind of highlighted things, saying the game's slowing down for Nico and uh, Green had a great two minute drive the other day and, you know, all, all of these things. So, I think a lot of that's coach speak, you know, I still assume JT Daniels is going to be there. I feel like looking at the depth chart in the offense, I feel like, you know, where a lot of the guys are going to be. I don't know if there's really going to be much at the offensive line. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, I feel like we're going to be returning the same guys. I'm not sure if you think Hubbard's kind of sliding into that offensive or the starting role um, on defense, you know, maybe interested, excited, concerned, whatever. I mean, definitely just the second two levels. Um, and I think we know what we're getting up front. Um, just a lot of new faces in the the linebacking and and defensive backs. So, um, you know, are you going to be seeing the guys that we had on the team last year, kind of assuming the starting role? You know, if you look at the, I mean, really, if you look at all the linebacking and, and defensive back positions on the depth chart, the, the two deep is a guy who wasn't here last year. So, you know, those are guys we haven't seen play. Are they going to be stepping up? I mean, obviously, I just want the best guy out there. It doesn't, you know, concern me too much, but you know, are these transfers guys who are going to come in and make impacts? I think we just talked about Kogwa is going to be a vital role in this defense. At least I hope so. Um, but you know, who's another name that we didn't see in the golden blue last year that is going to step up and, and hopefully be someone we hear a lot uh, this coming season. 
Yeah, man. The, the, the one that has my eye on kind of on the terms that you're talking about is, is the corner opposite Charles Woods. Um, if only because, uh, well, so Charles Woods is great. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the buzz so far has been, we love Wesley McCormick and we love Rashad Ajayi. So that's the McCormick's from JMU and Ajayi's from Colorado state. Um, but Andrew Wilson Lamp, who was here last year, redshirted, is still sitting at the starting corner spot. So mm-hmm. I think that it'll be interesting to see. Um, I think he had a really good spring, Wilson Lamp did. And if he's able to hold off two guys who the coaching staff brought in to play and are very high on through through one week, I think that speaks a lot about the kind of potential they, they see in him. So interested to see what shakes out there. I think they're all going to play a lot regardless. But if, if Wilson Lamp's able to hold on and be the – uh, the starter for fourth pit. I think that that says a lot about, you know, kind of the strides that he's made and, and what his ceiling might be. So, yeah. Yep. So that's, that's kind of the one I'm keeping my eye on. Uh, then last one. So maybe we'll start you halfway up the hill for this one. Just a, just a quick little sprint up the hill. Um, AP poll came out today. Any, any hot takes, any, any reactions? Um, the so yeah i mean the coaches poll i mean obviously i think the hot take everybody had was why the hell does texas have a number one vote i think they came in at 18 but they got one first place vote uh the only other teams who got them were bama ohio state and georgia who were the top three so you know who's who's playing 40 chess did save and throw a vote or so you know I, it doesn't matter yeah the, the like preseason that. polls are like the like least meaningful theory. thing ever but um or it can just throw a vote. So when they beat them, it kind of beefs up the resume. You know, you can, you can have fun with it. It doesn't matter. But yeah, the, you know, the coaches poll, it's whatever. I, I thought, you know, when you look at West Virginia's schedule um, and, you know, tonight we're going to be talking about Oklahoma and, uh, you know, we, we kind of had these tiers set out. So Oklahoma comes in at nine, Baylor at 10, Oklahoma State at 11. So nobody knows who the hell is better than who in that situation. That's kind of just a clump. Uh, Pitt at 16. I think that's fair. I think I think oh, yeah. high teens, mid teens for Pitt. Um, I think that's reasonable. And then Texas at eighteen, no comment. You know, I, it doesn't matter until a few weeks in. I guess one big surprise was Kansas State only received four votes. We're going to talk Kansas State tonight as well. Uh, they only received four votes. They were way outside of you know the top twenty-five. And then Iowa State comes in with three votes right after them. So. I didn't think these two teams are in the same league, but they're one vote apart in the poll that means absolutely nothing. So take of that what you will. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think I like K-State a little bit better. So yeah, definitely. Well, let's get into that. Um, so actually we're not going to start with K-State because we don't play them first, but um, let's start with Oklahoma here. So wanted to start Oklahoma um, with a, with a take slash a question, but is, is Oklahoma the Bryson DeChambeau of college football? So the reasoning, justification here, obviously both happy to take uh, fat contracts from, from oil money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but more importantly, they both do like a cool thing in a really uncool way, right? Where So Bryson hits bombs, but is still super lame. Um, Oklahoma has been maybe not last year, but for the last five years, one of the best offensive football teams in the history of college football. And yet they're still, I I don't really feel like anybody likes them that much outside of Oklahoma fans, right? Like there's nothing cool about them. Baker Mayfield kind of insufferable. Lincoln Riley kind of insufferable. uh, Kyler Murray, not, not really cool. You know, so it's just weird that like this team that has been so good, like historically good offensively, just 
has been so uncool while they've been doing it. So that's my take. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's an interesting take. I do feel like um, on the national landscape, you know, if you're a West Virginia fan, maybe you root for, you know, when we're talking playoff, maybe you root for Bama because of Saban or, you know, I think nationally somebody latches on to Clemson or Ohio State or whatever. Right. I don't know that a lot of people latch on to Oklahoma. I do kind of feel like they're a lone wolf. And unfortunately for the Big 12, um, it is what it is. They always kind of fall flat on their face once they make it to the playoffs. So, yeah, they uh, drive for show, putt for dough. They, they don't putt for dough and it matters, I guess, in the big stage. Um, but, man, they're explosive and the offense is crazy and it has been. Um Maybe uh, maybe a little spoiled fan base here, though, because all they do is win in the Big 12. Yeah, man. And and just the kind of the entitlement, like, you know, so you lose Lincoln Riley and, and uh, Oklahoma Twitter is on fire for four <laughs> days, five days, whatever it was. And then Venables is announced and then immediately they're going back to the playoff, right, where it's just like, OK, you know, mm-hmm. pour some water on yourselves a little bit. Um, OK, so Oklahoma 2021. Um, Actually, they, they had a, a really good season, um, right? They, I mean, they went 11-2 and two last year, but they missed out on the Big 12 title game for the first time since it was renewed in, I think, 2017. Um, so missed out on that. Oklahoma State, Baylor got in there. Obviously, we've talked about them. They played a fantastic game and, and all that stuff. But Oklahoma did beat Oregon 47-32 in the Alamo Bowl. Um, but just, you know, a lot of, a lot of weirdness behind the scenes. Um, like I said, you know, maybe it's the fact that they're they're doing this cool thing in just such an uncool way. Maybe this is more evidence. But Lincoln Riley has gone to USC. Brent Venables is in as the head coach. Um, and I don't know, man. Last year, it's you, you kind of look at the team that they were, and defensively, they were fine. I mean, they were you know as good as they've been really defensively. I think the big difference with them last year is just that they were um, they were mortal on offense, right? Like, I mean, this was an absolute battleship uh like carrier group of an offense from 2017 to 2020 and just for whatever reason last year you know they were still one of probably the 15 best offenses in the country last year Mm -hmm. but they just weren't one of the 15 best offenses of all time and i think that's kind of why you know you see the little mini step back they miss out on the title game i don't know what are your thoughts on on oklahoma last year I mean, downright bizarre when West Virginia is in Norman and they're booing Spencer Rattler, who was yeah. like the Heisman hopeful at the beginning of the season. Um, yeah, not many fan bases would would kind of turn that quick, I don't think. But I think you could say it's the expectation, it's the standard. But, you know, Oklahoma fans are a little spoiled in that. And they get to be because all they do is win. It was a weird season, though. You beat Tulane by five. You beat Nebraska by a touchdown. West Virginia was a bad snap away from maybe stealing one. Um I mean, it took some Caleb Williams just magic to not lose to Kansas. That weird fumble fourth down thing where he steals the ball from his running back. Um, yeah, and then you end up with 11 wins at the end of the season, so it's kind of weird. But yeah, it wasn't the the Oklahoma of old. Um, and then just super wild now, we're going from you know this offensive you know powerhouse to braining in Brent Venables and you know the defensive minded head coach. Um, He's at Clemson for a long time. And while he was at Clemson, at least from 2014 to 2021, uh, Clemson was in the top six in defensive beta rank every single year. Yeah. Um, And top five against the rush in all of those years as well. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's several roster refreshes and, and the same performance. So 
instead of Oklahoma being a top five, top 10 offense every year, you're bringing in a guy who's had a top five, top 10 defense every year. And, you know, maybe a clash in styles, maybe, you know, you're changing it up because Oklahoma always falls on their face in the big stage. Um, But, you know, I don't, I, I didn't look back, but has a coach ever exited Oklahoma on their terms and not Oklahoma's terms? Like, Nobody would leave Bama for a job, and people probably didn't think you'd leave Notre Dame for a job until you know Ryan Kelly did it. <laughs> Oklahoma isn't the uh, you know the girlfriend that gets broken up with usually. They're they're the ones doing the dumping. So yeah, just kind of a wild off season, and yeah, Oklahoma Twitter's been ablaze on and off, and then once again on last night with uh, the assistant stepping down, and you know, there's just Jeez. been a lot of stuff going on. Um, and Oklahoma feels mortal now. Like that, uh, it's definitely changed up. They do. They do. That's um, that's kind of my take on them this year. Is that there are there are they're still a very good team. There are less sure things for them than maybe mm-hmm. there have been since we've joined the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no. I mean, you know, you lose the whole coaching staff. Um, I think they at a high level. I think they lose more offensive skill talent than any other team in the Big Twelve. And I think they maybe lose lose more high end defensive uh, talent than maybe any team but Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, despite all that, despite all the the turnover, despite all the offseason chaos, they're still the favorites. So you they're know, still what, Oklahoma. <laughs> what, what's changed, right? They're still they're plus five thousand to win the Natty. They're still plus one twenty five to win ten plus regular season games, which is the best number in the Big Twelve. Still mm-hmm. plus two hundred to win the Big Twelve itself, which is the best number in the Big Twelve. The one. Uh, the one area where you would look and say, yeah, maybe maybe they are mortal. You know, maybe maybe this is going to be a different year. The over-under is eight and a half, um, which is the first time since 2014 that their over-under uh, was was fewer than nine wins. Wow. And um, first time they've been in single digits since 2017. So, um, you know, obviously still a lot of money heading their way in terms of people who, who you know, who people think is going to be good in the Big 12. But um, 8.5 is, is kind of a low number for them. Yeah. And if you want some historical backing on that, uh, they've won at least eight games every season for the last 22 years. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I said a little spoiled fan base, maybe, uh, they've been in the AP top seven every season for the last 22 years. That's unbelievable. <laughs> um, those are shoes that are iffy to step into like for Brent Venables. If you go out and go seven and five or eight and four, Against, you know, there's there's lots of teams who are going to be pretty similar. Even if you look at the coaches poll, there's a lot of teams in conference who are going to be right on level with them. Uh, you lose a couple of those and, you know, throw one another one up. You go eight and four. Are they going to be calling for your head or they, they call in for a coordinator's head? It's there's uh, demanding excellence. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, man. So so starting offensively, speaking of coordinators, uh, they bring in Jeff Levy from Old Miss, um, who it has to be said. So he was he was at Old Miss and then he was at UCF before that, where he had one season with Dylan Gabriel. Um, guy has had immediate immediate success at both places, right? Like it hasn't taken him a year to get the lay of the land or anything like that. He has come in and immediately taken, um, you know what whatever level that those teams' offenses were at uh, prior to him coming on, he's come in and elevated them, um, and you know relatively balanced, um, really spread heavy uh, RPO guy. Um, lots of play action. I saw Matt, Matt Corral um, was, you know, 60% of his passes last year involved some some form of, of play action or RPO, which was the top number in, in FBS. So um, 
in terms of the things that Oklahoma has been good at over year over the years, and and probably the pieces that they have on their roster, a really good fit for an offensive coordinator. I think. What do you What do you think there? Yeah, I think this this makes sense for the Oklahoma role, and um, you know, you have to think he's going to be doing the play calling on the offense, the more sure. of a defensive minded um, head coach. So yeah, I think he's probably going to get a lot of the reins here. And yeah, I mean, Ole Miss was fun. They slung the ball around, mm-hmm. uh, very like modern o- approach to offense. So. Um, yeah, I, I think, especially with the experience with Dylan Gabriel. So, you know, um, just kind of talking about Dylan a little bit. He played in 2019 and 2020 um, and then was hurt in the third game of 2021 on kind of a stupid last play of the game, lateral, chuck it around, broke his collarbone, was out for the season. Um, so in 2020, the last full year he played, he was the 11th best quarterback in the country up for PFF. Uh, that number 10 that year was Trevor Lawrence. So he was right there with, you know, the guy who was one of the top picks in the draft. Um, not really much of a runner, but a great passer. He's got a big arm, uh, big body. And I think he's put on some extra pounds sort of as a, you know, injury preventative measure. And I think he's gotten bigger since. So, um, Dylan Gabriel's solid. He's a great quarterback. Um, definitely one of the better ones in the transfer portal, um, but Oklahoma has, has won the Heisman at the quarterback position several times in, in the last handful of years. So, um, he might actually be a, a step down. I mean, I think he is probably a step down from Caleb Williams and, uh, the, the three guys before him. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I think if you, you know, if you're going to say he's on the level of anybody that they've had over the last, the last five or five or six years, you'd say Spencer Rattler, who again, mm-hmm. got, uh, got booed off the field. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, a very good quarterback, probably, probably, I mean, yeah, probably not a, a first round NFL draft pick, but yeah, accurate enough, um, you know, adjusted completion numbers in the high seventies. Um, I saw in 2020, actually he, he, he uh, his receivers dropped 39 passes, which, which led the country. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's accurate enough. He pushed the ball downfield. Um, he's a, yeah, yeah. Not, not a great runner. I think actually that's kind of where, um, the biggest step back I think for Oklahoma has been over the last couple of years is, is what's taken them from a superpower to just like another very, very good offense is, um, is running a running threat at the quarterback position, right? Where, yeah. you know, you look, um, Baker Mayfield, you know, you don't think of him that way anymore in the NFL, but the dude was super effective, especially as a scrambler in college, right? Um, Kyler Murray was, I mean, the dude averaged like 10 yards a carry in college. The guy was unreal. He was the best athlete on almost any field that he stepped on. Jalen Hurts ran the ball 250 times for, you know, 1500 yards and like 20 some touch, you know, 20 some touchdowns. Um, and then you come next, come last year. And maybe that's like, maybe that's kind of where Spencer Rattler struggled a little bit is you don't have that design run threat anymore. Um, I think mm-hmm. that got a little bit better with Caleb Williams, um, but it's going to take another, a little step back again with, with Dylan Gabriel. Um, I think, you know, he had in, in 2020, 26, 26 design carries, 176 yards. Um, so, you know, pretty, pretty decent numbers, 17 scrambles, 113 yards. Um, but he's not, he's not a guy that you think of as like, even the way you think of like an Adrian Martinez where, Mm -hmm. um, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit where, you know, this guy is going to be a threat to run the ball. He's, he's much more of like, maybe he'll make a play. Maybe he'll scramble around a little bit. But in terms of design quarterback runs and like the big role that that's played in Oklahoma's running game over the last five years or so, um, I think he's he's a little mini step back. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think you're going to be designing a lot for him. He can, you know, if it's there, he'll take it. Um, I don't yeah. think he's Jarrett Deggy level of not no, mobile, no, no. but but yeah, you're definitely losing a little mobility there. So, um, you know, one one good thing is Oklahoma tends to have a great offensive line. And if you yeah. give him time to throw, um, you know, I think he's a pretty decent passer. So um, in terms of the running game, you're losing a, a, a great player in Kennedy Brooks this year. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a big loss. He had almost had 200 attempts uh, 1,250 yards last year. So that's a big drop off in the running game. You're losing your mobile quarterback and you're losing your, your bell cow at running back. Um, so Caleb Williams had 45 carries last year. He averaged almost nine per. So that's a lot of offense. That's runner. a lot of rushing production that you're, you're kind of losing. Um, Eric Gray is going to most likely be the guy that's stepping in there. Um, he's the only person who really took any kind of snaps other than the, the two quarterbacks in Oklahoma last year. Uh, he had 78 rushes a little over five per um so he's going to be taking the majority of the snaps this year then marcus major who only took 15 carries last year um i assume is going to be kind of coming in as the second yeah so i saw those two guys the the thing with gray he's he's a excellent receiver out of the backfield um had had a bunch of targets um really good really good in the in the uh, screen game um i think you know actually kind of lined up in the slot every now and then um I can see this turning into a, a running back com- by committee thing where, you know, Gray's probably going to be the starter and is, I mean, he's going to get a, his share of the touches, but I could see either major or they, they have a pair of uh, four-star true freshmen, Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk, who both, uh, especially Barnes, I watched high school highlights and the spring game highlights. The dude, the dude just moves and looks like a college running back already. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, one of those three guys maybe lead the team in carries. Um, with Gray, Gray still getting his share for sure, but maybe Gray getting almost maybe splitting touches between running attempts and, and catches or something like that. Um, cause he is, a, he's a really good threat in the passing game as well. But, you know, I think it's a, it's a pretty standard Oklahoma running back room. You know, mm-hmm. I think they, they have guys who if, if yards are there, they're gonna, they're gonna get them, you know? Yeah. This, I mean, this is, it's the same conversation with Texas. This is one of those things where it's just like you insert the next dude that they grew in a lab who was a four star. Yeah. Um, they, they have the talent. Um, I think that you can look at pretty much any position group, especially on the offense and, and say, yeah, the talent's there. Like they're, they're guys you look in the receiving room, they lost so many guys and they yeah. get so many guys who are like, they just plug them in. They come out of nowhere, uh, plugging in four star guys um, you know, you, I thought it was interesting. The, the highest targeted guy last year was um, Hazelwood with 60 targets. That's really not that many for your number no. one. Um, they spread this thing around. And uh, yeah, you still get Marvin Mims coming back. You, you have all kinds of guys coming back because that's what teams like, like this do. They just they have the depth. Yeah, man. Mims, 22 yards of catch last year, which was fifth in FBS. So he's he's uh just a big play waiting to happen anytime he touches the ball, you know, whether that's targeted down the field. I know he's, he's good on underneath stuff as well. And it's just super slippery and fast after the catch. Um, so definitely have to have our wits about him with that. Uh, they get Theo Wiesback, who um, played as a, a freshman prior to last year, got hurt before the season last year and, and didn't end up playing at all. Uh, but he was, he was good as a freshman, you know, had, had almost a 70 PFF grade, had 37 catches, four touchdowns. Um, so they'll get him back healthy. I mean, we'll see if he, is able to take a step forward or at least maintain that level of production that he has as a freshman, but I'm, I'm sure he'll be fine. Um, Drake Stoops in the slot, good player. Didn't get a ton of production out of him, but he's somebody who's he's a redshirt senior. He's been a contributor for the last uh, three years or so. 
Um, then I saw, you know, a couple of, uh, well, like you said, four-star true freshman has cracked the two deep, Jaden Gibson. Six, um, five. <laughs> yeah. So dude's, dude's probably ridiculous. Um, and then a pair of transfers on the two deep, JJ, JJ Hester's from Mizzou. His numbers weren't really anything special. I didn't think, but then, um, they got a guy named LV Bunkley Shelton from Arizona state, uh, who actually, I think is probably going to be good for them. He had, he had 33 catches, 418 yards, two touchdowns last year, um, 69 PFF grade. So maybe look for him to pop in the slot. Uh, definitely going to be, uh, fighting Drake Stoops for some playing time, I think. So, yeah, you know, like you said, you, you lose, you lose Hazelwood, you lose Mario Williams, you lose Michael Woods, your top three targeted guys last year. And, uh, and here we are. And I'm Stogner's you know, gone too, right? Like, I mean, you lose guys that stone. Yeah. Stoner, Jeremiah Hall. Um, Jeremiah Hall is a low key, super big loss. That guy was all big 12 last year, got mm-hmm. drafted as an H back, which you have to be pretty good to be drafted as an H back. So yeah, no, I mean, you know, they, they, I think they lost five of their top seven by targets. Like if you look overall, mm-hmm. um, the other guy who's back is Braden Willis. So he'll step in, in that, in that tight end H back role, which is, um, historically, you know, under Lincoln Riley, that, uh, that tight end H back, which has been, you know, Stoner or Hall, um, very important, very important role for them. Um, he's the guy who, you know, when, when they have had that threat of the quarterback run is, is that pop on the RPO up the seam. Um, so Braden Willis is a good player. Um, 72.6 grade last year on 368 snaps, um, had some, had some really nice blocking numbers as well. So I'm not sure if there's going to be a huge drop off there, but I don't know if they have two guys like they have, you know, with Stoner mm-hmm. and Hall. So we'll have to see if that, if that impacts things, but yeah, no, I mean, overall running back receivers, tight ends, ace backs, it looks like Oklahoma, like you said, Dylan Gabriel, very good player, maybe a half a step backwards from, from what they've had, um, over the last five years or so, but yeah. Yeah. Two, two of these receivers who we barely know right now will be like household names by like late October. Cause that's just, yeah, that's just yeah. what Oklahoma tends to do. Um, especially, you know, I think with the offense, it's going to be instilled with Levy. Like I think they'll be fine. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't know if Mar- Marvin Mims is going to be the go-to guy. He played a lot of slot last year. Um, mm-hmm. and so did Stoops. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to line that up or if that'll change, but I'm not, I'm not concerned. Like I, I think yeah. they're going to be just, just fine. Um, yeah, I agree. So, you know, moving to the offensive line, um, you do lose two of your top guys. Oklahoma's offensive lines, I mean, that's usually like the strength in their team. I mean, they're yeah. solid yep. all the way around, but they can do anything they want because of the the strength of their offensive line. Um, so last year, they were in the conference second in pass block, second in run block. So, I mean, this was a really, really solid unit. Yep. Um, you do lose two of your, your top guys, and you're bringing in a transfer who I think is projected to start. Um, McCade Mature from Cal. Um, he has over 1,800 snaps under his belt, so that's kind of like a veteran. You're sort of branding in to plug in. I think he had like four years of experience. Um, yeah, once it's, again, it's one of those things. I, I think they're they're going to be just fine. They they always are at offensive line for sure. Yeah. No, I think you know maybe Matower Metterer Metterer. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird spelling of his name, but you know. Maybe he doesn't step in and, and play as well as, as, you know, the guard that they lost, um, but is going to be extremely serviceable, right? Like, he's not going to hurt them out there. Um, the one thing I saw, so the, the new starter at tackle, uh, Wanya Morris, um, played 126 snaps last year, only had a 60.7 grade, which not great, not absolutely, you know, it's not horrific or anything, but um, 
I don't know. I think overall the line, yeah, like you said, the line's going to be fine. Maybe it's not the juggernaut that it's been uh, mm-hmm. at certain points in the past, um, but it's definitely not going to be a weakness for them. I don't think. So all, all things considered, I think this is probably still like a top three offense in the conference. Um, unless something goes really wrong with Gabriel, if Gabriel gets hurt, I think things get interesting. They might be, yeah, they might be fucked. Yeah. And he did have a collarbone injury, which is like one of those things that, you know, you gotta be sensitive about. Yeah. You just fall on it the wrong way. And so I, I think it's there. I think there's no reason to say Oklahoma's offense is not going to be great. Like they always are. But, um, I do think they, their armor's down a little bit. I think that there's some vulnerability there. Still with that being said, I think it's like a probably a top three offense in the conference. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it is what it is. They're, they're, they're Oklahoma and, and they're going to be just fine. Um, one very interesting thing to me, when you look at the um, all Big 12, the preseason media team, Oklahoma has zero players on offense on the mm-hmm. team. Um, and transitioning to defense, they have zero players on defense on that team. It is incredible. I'd love to know the last time Oklahoma had zero offensive players on a preseason list because talent's there, but it's actually kind of surprising that uh, I thought, you know, maybe Mims, but there's some other great receivers in the league. Like, I don't I don't know if you even say he was really slighted there. Um, the yeah, defense didn't, didn't awesome have the guys. volume. Super explosive, didn't have the volume. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Defense. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to say the defense, you lose you lose some dudes. You lose Nick Benito. You lose Perion Winfrey um, and Isaiah Thomas. That's that's massive. Um, you know, the, the defense wasn't world beating last year, but one thing they did have going for them uh, was the pass rush and losing those guys. That really hurts. Um, those guys were all all pretty elite in their own. Yeah. And then and then you have uh, Laron Stokes, uh, another interior defensive lineman, got drafted, didn't didn't have a ton of production last year, but the dude got drafted, you know. So <laughs> so, you, I mean, you lose four major contributors up front. Um Specifically, you lose 115 pressures and 22 sacks between Benito Thomas and Winfrey. So, l- like you said, is y- you know, pass rushing they were they were decent across the board last year. Pass rushing was their superpower, right? Yeah. And so it's like, what do you look at this year? Are you able to replace that production and continue getting after the passer this year, or you know, what like what is your what is your strength this year? Um, I don't know. I mean, so up front, the interior rotation still going to be good. Um, Jalen Redmond's back. He had a 78.4 grade last year, 29 pressures. So, you know, you're looking at him. He's one of the best interior players in the conference. Um, I'd say, you know, if you're looking at snubs from, from the all big 12 team, um, I'd put him right up there. Obviously Mm -hmm. there's a lot of very good defensive linemen in the league, but I think he's, he's as good as any of them. Um, and then you're going to have Jeffrey Johnson from Tulane, uh, who's going to come in and play next to him as a transfer, um, 2,300 career snaps, um, Decent last year, like a 63 PFF grade, 14 pressures. Um, so, you know, maybe not that not that high level that Redmond is, but you're at least going to have two really good players in there in the middle. Um, but I think, like you said, you know, it's 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 Bonito uh, and, and Isaiah Thomas off the edge who who they're going to have to replace. I don't know. Are you seeing anything out there where uh, they're going to pick up that slack or? I mean, same story. Like, I, I'm sure there's some guy who's going to be a household name here in another season or two, but. Um, man, you, lo- I mean, you lose some great guys on yeah. the, like I said, like, um, the pass rush was, was really their, their strong suit last year. And, uh, Jalen Redmond, I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna probably have to be the anchor there on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moving to the linebacking core, you lose Brian Asamoah, um, yeah. fantastic tackler. He was also huge in the run defense. I mean, this team was a little, I think significantly better in the uh, rush defense than pass. Um, 
So they were 40 in beta rank. They were 41st against the rush, 68th against the pass, which isn't fantastic, but yeah, the pass rush, the pass rush was their pass defense last year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like if you got the ball out, it was, you know, you were having some success, but getting the ball out was, was tricky. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I have they, they returned some tr- contributors. The one guy I saw, so Danny Danny Stutzman's going to step in mm-hmm. for Asamoah. Um, pretty decent last year as a true freshman. You know, maybe he might be good. He's a, he's a, he's going to be a true sophomore. Um, played 140 snaps last year. Put up at like a 63 PFF grade. Had some decent tackling numbers. But the other two guys, um, so so Shane uh, Shane Witter and Deshaun White, uh, both both uh, played last year. Lots of missed tackles, and and when they were targeted, um, so Witter allowed 86 completions on 14 targets. Um, Deshaun White allowed 90% completions on 31 targets. So, you know, you, you're returning contributors, but, I mean, you you lost your best player at that level. And I don't mm-hmm. know if, if, if Stutzman's ready, you know, as a true sophomore to step in there and be what Brian Asamoah was last year. Yeah, I agree. It seems like production was good when he was in, but only 141 snaps. It's not a lot. Yeah. Um, so so here's, I guess, where the conversation turns to the um, Brent Venables factor because, um, you know, this is what Oklahoma has been. We've known Oklahoma has been weak on the defensive side for a long time. Um, you bring in a defensive-minded guy who has proven it time and time again. Um, and I guess just mention quickly, Ted Roof is the defensive coordinator. Um, this guy is a journeyman. He has played – I counted 17 school changes. So he is just all over the place. Um he was briefly the head coach at Duke. He was six and 45, which is terrible. Um, I don't think his hands are going to be on this defense like Venables will. Um, so Venables is going to have guys who have talent um, and, and he's going to have to to sort of turn this thing around. You know, I, I could see, I could see this defense being better just because this defense was pretty average to bad for power five last year. Um, and you know, if you think you have a really solid offense, if you think you have the second best offense in the the league, third best offense, whatever, um, yeah, just get to average. That's all you got to do. You got some guys, you got a great defensive minded head coach. Um, can you, can you staple and duct tape this thing together and, uh, just be serviceable, just, just be enough. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, like you said, it's there's, there's dudes, you lose your best player at every level that makes it tough. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Cause you know, like you said, lose some talent, but you bring in some really good defensive minds and it'll, it'll be a good, uh, experiment in, uh, X's and O's versus Jimmy's and Joe's, I guess. So, mm-hmm. so eight and a half for Oklahoma this year. Yep. So out of conference, what are we looking at for Oklahoma? It's like UTEP, Kent state, Nebraska, um, UTEP, Kent state should be fine. Those are both in Norman. At Nebraska, I would assume is is a win considering I don't know. I, I feel like there have been a lot of Nebraska transfers as yeah. we've kind of talked our way through the Big Twelve here. So um just say you're three and zero. I mean just say you're three and zero. You need five um, out of nine wins in conference to get to, to nine. Uh without looking at the individual games, I mean I think this team will, will win five of their nine conference games. Well, so that only gets them to eight though. Does that? Oh yeah. Okay. So three. Yep. You're right. So you need six of the nine mm-hmm. to to get over the hump. So I mean, the teams you're thinking of are Baylor, Kansas State, um, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State <clears throat> Texas. Those you know, West Virginia. So you got to go one and four in those games, and then mm-hmm. be 
beat Texas Tech, beat Iowa State, beat Kansas, beat TCU. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that seems – when you break it up like that, it seems manageable to get to nine. Mm-hmm. And we had this team in the in the somewhat front runners in our tiers. Um, it's hard to say they're a front runner because of how much turnover they are, but they are Oklahoma, and it's hard to say Oklahoma is not a front runner in the conference. So I'm kind of torn in the like between front runner and be, between the like, yeah, I won't be surprised they're going to end up in Arlington categories. Yeah, I think I think my my lesson or kind of like the one of the conclusions I've drawn from, from doing all these deep dives is, is that maybe there shouldn't be a front runners category. Maybe there's just like mm-hmm. five in that wouldn't be surprised if they end up in the conference championship game category. Um, That's what the coaches poll think. I mean, they had three yeah. teams clumped in Texas lingering. Those were the four teams we had in that, you know, the top two. So, yep. Um, yep. Yeah. I think, I mean, they're, they're one of the teams who could be there. Um, but you know, like we said, a lot, a lot of question marks, um, completely new staff, Lots of new guys offensively, lots of new guys defensively. So it'll see. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's just like how we started off, man. There have been years recently where Oklahoma felt invincible. Um, you know, just they were a foregone conclusion, right? Um, but they, they, it, it doesn't doesn't feel that way this year. But they, but they do have an all-conference punter, and that's what's important. <laughs> that is their one contribution to the uh, all-conference team. Uh, the, the position that's probably been used the least in Oklahoma <laughs> for a while. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Joel beat me to the uh, to the special teams checkbox this week, so I have to be on my, I'll have to be on my toes for Kansas State <laughs> and get my update in there. But, uh, yeah, Oklahoma. Cool. So do you want to move along to the Wildcats? Yeah, let's let's do that. Um, very classic uh, Kansas State. Maybe maybe not the way that they looked, but the the results. Very classic Kansas State uh, type of season where you know they they go eight and five, um, capped it with a forty two to twenty win over LSU in the Texas Bowl. Which whatever, I think LSU had probably you know half of their team wasn't playing, um, but in general beat who they should beat, um, and kind of you know lost. Lost who they should to who they should uh, should have lost to. Um, they were only two of four against teams with winning records, five and one against teams with non-winning records. So you know, I would say just like a perfectly classic above-average K-State team who not going to beat themselves. You got to go out and beat them, and you know, a handful of teams are capable of that, and and they did. Um, in general, uh, I, I'd say they were good offensively, um, average to above-average defensively, pretty efficient on both sides of the ball, and and. You know, when you add all that together, um, yeah, you get you get to seven, eight wins, and and that's what they did. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what was your take on Kansas State last year? Yeah, I, I think just like the perfectly average team in the conference, um, eight and five feels deceiving because I don't know. I, I almost wish that, like, I don't want to get into the whole like bowl versus playoff conversation, like all of this stuff, but you know, like crediting bowl wins anymore just feels weird when they're not like a bcs ish or like a or sorry new year's six or like a playoff um so they played in the texas bowl like let's just not count that they were seven and five uh Mm. they beat stanford southern illinois and nevada out of conference whatever um in conference they beat texas tech tcu kansas west virginia what west virginia might have been their most impressive win last year um which doesn't say a, a lot about kansas state so um 
Yeah, that's a losing record in the conference. That's a good point. Four and five in the conference. So losing record. Yeah, I mean, you lose by five to Texas, ten to Baylor, um, you know, six to Oklahoma. Like you were there. You didn't get beat by more than two touchdowns or two scores all season. Um, but yeah, you beat who you're supposed to beat. You didn't lose and you, and you didn't punch up on anybody. So yeah, I think just a normal season for Kansas state, like, um, not, nothing special, nothing too much to write home about. I think interesting thing about the Kansas state this year, I don't know if you can classify them as a dark horse anymore because people are like, this is the dark horse team. I think similarly how people have talked about NC state, you like dark horse them so much that they're like kind of the, the trendy pick. Um, and I don't know. I, it's, they got a lot of, they got a lot of guys. Do they have enough depth? Is kind of my like big point on them. Yeah, man. Yeah. I can, I can see why people are buying them, but I think when you dive deep, when you really pull out the snorkel and, and really, you know, get, get down in there. I mean, yeah, there, there's some cracks, right? Um, mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll start offensively here. Uh, Colin Klein promoted. Uh, he's been he's been their quarterback coach for the last six years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the interim in the bowl game, which again tossed that out because LSU didn't didn't have half their team playing. Um, he was also uh, famously, I'd say most famously, was their quarterback when they were awesome uh, right around the time we joined the Big Twelve. I know he hung fifty two on us in Morgantown one time, and the mm-hmm. guy couldn't even throw a spiral. So, um, but <laughs> very effective player. I'm sure he'll be a, a, a good coach. Um, and and the big story with them, I, I guess, uh, offensively this offseason is is you lose Skylar, Skylar Thompson, but if you were you know uh, building a quarterback in the lab for them to pull in in the portal, considering that Colin Klein is their offensive coordinator, um, you know I don't know if you could do much better than than Adrian Martinez. Yeah, yeah, Adrian Martinez is a perfect fit for like the Kansas State brand of football. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming from Nebraska, you know, 68th of 146 eligible quarterbacks last year. So kind of just sitting right in the middle. This is PFF. Um, he was 28th of quarterbacks in the running game, though. So um, definitely not afraid to get take some contact. This guy's big. He's 6'3", 225, pretty shifty. When I watch him, when you watch tape of him, he's just like a half step faster than you would expect somebody for his size to be. Like he's a big guy and he just seems like he, he's got like, I don't know when he's like running to the edge or, or kind of just like, you know, kind of breaking through the first level. He just for his size, you're like, oh, wow, like he, he can move for a guy yeah. that big. Oh, yeah. Uh, and not afraid to run. Uh, he had almost 700 rushing yards last year. So, I mean, you know, he he took some hits. He uh, but but he wasn't afraid to, to tote the rock. Uh, one thing kind of stood out to me was just 10 fumbles last year. That feels like a lot. I and mean, that's pretty much one a game. Um, also 10 picks. So, you know, maybe a little ball security issues there, but no, I think all in all for Kansas state, like this is a great pickup. This is, this is really the guy you want. I think this, this is going to be fine. Yeah. If they could have had their pick of the dudes in the portal, I think that's, that's who they would have picked and and they got him. Um, yeah, no, I had, I mean, elite runner, um, really good in the design game. Absolutely elite as a scrambler. He had 30 scrambles last year for 415 yards. Um, which is 13.8 yards of scramble. Um, so that's kind of crazy. Uh, 35 career rushing touchdowns, kind of crazy. Um, he's good in the play action game, which is what they want to do. I think he had an 85.5 uh, passing grade in the play action game. So that's good. Um, handles pressure decently well. Yeah, I think that the big red flag against him um, would be 
well, there's, there, I'd say there's two. Uh, he's been a little bit inconsistent with his accuracy. Um, so his accuracy numbers throughout his career have been all over the place. They've been as high as 71 uh, in, in 2020, and then they've been as low as 59. Um, and I think his career number is right around 63. He was at like 61% last year. Um, but then the, the bigger red flag is, is, as you mentioned, he a little sloppy with the ball, you know, 10 fumbles last year, but then also had, um, uh, you know, even beyond the interceptions had a, a bunch of turnover, uh, turnover worthy plays. So, so PFF tracks turnover worthy plays, which are kind of bad passes that maybe don't get picked off, but, but probably should have, um, he has a 3.9% career turnover worthy play rate, which would be like top 10 in any given year. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 3.7% last year, which was 15th among eligible quarterbacks last year. So, you know, the guy will the guy will give you some opportunities to take the ball away from him. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, in terms of somebody who fits what they probably want to do offensively, I think he's a really good fit. And if he can clean up those turnovers and, you know, take a little bit better care of the ball this year, then he's going to be a really, really good player for them. Yeah. And when you look at this offense last year for Kansas State, so in the conference, they were near the bottom in passing pass blocks for PFF um, and receiving, but they were third in the conference in run block and, and rushing. So definitely more of a run heavy um, in terms of what they were good at. Um, so now all I want to talk about for the rest of the pod is Deuce Vaughn because he's just incredible. I love watching this guy play. Um, go look up his highlight tape. It's just so much fun. And if you look up his highlight tape, you're going to see like 600 times where they just run inside zone out of a shotgun to him. And wow, wouldn't it be great if you had like a rushing quarterback who you could just turn that into a read option and you have to defend Deuce Vaughn or Adrian Martinez coming out of this read option. I think that's like the style this, this offense probably wants to run, throw some big boys in front, uh, you know, throw two tight ends up there, whatever. Like, I think that's this Kansas state's offense, like perfect scenario. And then, like you said, play action pass. Like there's a lot of things that could go right about this offense. Um, so yeah, I'm just gushing on Deuce Vaughn. He was second in, in PFF last year in the run. Um, in terms of running backs, all running backs in the country, he was second. He's very tiny. He's five, six, uh, like 175 pounds, but he's strong. He's quick. Uh, he had over 1400 yards. I mean, he's he's good in the pass. He's good in the rush. He's exciting to watch. Like, you yeah, gotta man. like the guy. He's, he's yeah, super man. fun. Yeah, man. Probably probably the best uh, the best two way back in the country. Honestly, just in terms. I mean, you talked about his running contribution. Fifty missed tackles, forced forty two explosive run, runs last year. Let him in targets. Had sixty six mm-hmm. targets last year. So <laughs> just get him the know. ball. Yeah, I mean that that was their strategy last year, and then, and then now, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. Is is instead of just running inside zone, you have you have this guy who, you know, Martinez is not as good as as Skylar Thompson was as a passer, or maybe as like an off script playmaker. But in terms of providing a little counter uh, to teams who could just stack the box and try and tackle Deuce Vaughn. You know, now you have, now you have Adrian Martinez, one of the best, uh, running back, running quarterbacks in the country, you know, who could be coming out the backside on a QB keeper or, you know, who could be pulling it and and maybe hitting a tight end up the seam on a little RPO pop pass kind of thing. So yeah, no, I mean, it's, they have the chance to be a very effective, uh, tandem back there. I mean, really a real problem. Um, and then they, I mean, they bring back dudes to throw to, too. You know, you, you bring back Phillip Brooks, you bring, bring back uh, Malik Knowles, um, bring back Sammy Wheeler, the tight end, who who was a pretty decent receiver last year. So, um, 
you know, there's guys to throw to. It, it's a it's a balanced looking group. Um, definitely from the skill position. I mean, this is this is what I'm talking about. You can you can understand why people are selling them as a dark horse to the point where maybe they're not even a dark horse anymore. Yeah, yeah, you get all your you know all your receiving targets back pretty much. You get Deuce Vaughn. You get a quarterback who fits the scheme and the system. Um, yeah, I, it, lots of optimism. You have uh, a left guard who's going to be drafted probably in the, f- the first or second day of the NFL draft. And uh, Cooper, I don't know if it's Cooper Beeb or Cooper BB. I think but, it's BB. Yeah. I think, so, I think he's, is, he a ta- is he a guard or a tackle? I think he's a tackle. Maybe a tackle, yeah. He, um, But you got you got dudes. You got dudes on this offense. Oh, yeah, um, he's great. There's, there's lots of ways that this can go right. Um, I'll just play devil's advocate briefly and say the way that this goes wrong, um, because Deuce Vaughn gets a million carries and he also leads the team in targets. You know, you check down, that's great for a security blanket for Adrian Martinez. You know, you don't have to make the big throw. You just check it down to this guy. Um, when, you know, if Deuce Vaughn gets hurt in the fifth game of the season or the sixth or the seventh, because he's getting hit like 35 times a game. Um, I think the dynamics of this offense change a lot. And maybe maybe not as fun, but Deuce Vaughn has the potential. I mean, this guy could win the Heisman this year. Um, he could win the Doak Walker. He could win the Big 12 Player of the Year. Yeah. Um, he's that good. And uh, you don't fault an offense for getting your best player the ball no, as many times as you possibly can. That's I mean, the goal. Yeah, that's the sure. goal. You get your guys in space. This dude is phenomenal in space. Um, yeah, I mean, you, obviously you want to spread the wealth and not make him take all the hits, but... Um, there's a lot of ways this offense could go right. I think the only thing I'm iffy about is the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, you have three guys who, uh, in Leviston, who had seven only 79 snaps last year. Um, I think it's Gillum only had 12 snaps last year. And then Poitier uh, had zero snaps last year because he got hurt in fall camp. So you got three guys on your, on your five who I'm kind of iffy about. Yeah, that's that's what I had as as the red flag is. So there, there's no depth behind Deuce Vaughn. Um, you know, if he if he gets hurt, then you probably have to try and throw it a little bit more. And I'm not sure that that fits Martinez's skill set. And then yeah, 91 snaps combined a- across the interior of your offense. Um, and, and you know, I say this every week. There are a lot of good defensive lines in this conference, right? Where yeah. you know, if if that is a weakness, it doesn't matter how good Cooper Beebe is. Um, you know, if uh, if Jalen Redmond is is just in your backfield every single on every single play, that really puts a hamper uh, puts a damper on the offense. So um, those are those are kind of my two red flags. Like I buy what people are selling, but there's not a ton of depth, and that middle of that offensive line is concerning, uh, considering who they're going to be playing against this year. Yeah, and I think the important thing too, and maybe more so in the NFL, but it goes both ways. It's football is a violent game. It's a long season. And sometimes the team that turns out on top towards the end is like the team who is managing injuries or has a lot of depth. And yeah, I think the margins might be kind of thin for this team. Like mm-hmm. if uh, Cooper Beebe goes down or Deuce Vaughn goes down, Martinez goes down, I think I think this offense philosophy kind of has to shift almost immediately. So if it's all if it's all going and it's all clicking, this team could, could beat probably anybody on the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I, like I said, I think the margins are thinner than they are for teams like Oklahoma, who are blessed with infinite depth at every position. Um, yeah, fortunately, 
this offensive line does not have to, uh, at least in a game, does not have to block this defensive line. Yeah. Because the defensive line is very good for Kansas State. Yeah, you bring yeah you bring back uh, well I guess all three contributors from last year but but the two the two big ones Felix Anaduke Anaduke uh, Uzoma and uh, and then on the interior Eli Huggins um, both both very very good players up front um, and Anaduke Uzoma had forty three pressures thirteen sacks last year he's first team all conference in the preseason I think he is is he the defensive lineman of the year. Yeah, he's the defensive player of the year in the Big 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so uh, a guy who's been highly, highly, highly productive um, was actually good against the run last year too, so he's not just like a one-trick a one trick pony out there who's getting after quarterbacks. Um, you know, they run a three three five. so then you have Eli Huggins in the middle who, you know, very, very good player, had 17 pressures, three sacks from the middle last year. Um, the other end is, uh, is going to be Jalen Pickle who – Solid if unspectacular. You know, I compare him to probably like kind of what we look look at Taj Alston as, where he's going to be out there for a lot of snaps and he's gonna he's gonna put a shift in basically, right? Mm-hmm. Like he had a 64 grade last year on on about 300 snaps, only nine pressures. Um, but I'm not sure that that kills you, uh, considering you know the other two guys and uh, and the fact actually they they have some linebackers who generated a lot of pressure last year as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just, you know, on the defensive line, you know, even if you just have a three-man front, the one thing that's really nice is if you have two very, very good pass rushers on the edge, um, that kind of allows you, especially on like, you know, third down, you don't have to send a blitz to get pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, you could drop eight, you could drop seven, and these guys are going to get to the quarterback. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's like a really nice thing to have on your team that, that you can just generate pressure without having to blitz. That makes everything easier for the, you know, the back two levels. Um, yeah. I mean, when you look at, when you look at this team as a whole, they got guys, um, they have six players on the the preseason list. I believe that's the most of any team. Uh, you look at this defense. I think the same thing, like depth maybe is the question you have a guy on the preseason big 12 list at all three levels. Um, and you know, like, I think any, you know, you, you kind of have like this anchor at all three levels. Daniel green is one of those things. And I think we talked about this. I can't remember with another team, but um, I don't know how many linebackers there were to select from for all big 12 linebacking core. Um, You know, his grades were fine and PFF, but uh, maybe a surprise that this guy was, you know, an all big 12 guy preseason. But I I, I think you, you at least have some guys, some playmakers, um, when you look at the uh, the defensive backs, you have uh, Julius Brents is is your guy who's on the preseason list. So um, your other cornerback also, uh, I have no idea, Eco Boydo, I believe is how you say his name. Um, enough, I'm sure. Yeah, he's the other cornerback, and he actually had better coverage grades than Julius Brents last year. So you know, I think you have solid contributors. Um, I think just the main question is probably depth. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I look at the second level. Um, should be really good against the run. You know, you mentioned Daniel Green. He had 19 pressures last year. Uh, Khalid Duke um, hurt for a lot of last year, had 37 pressures in 2020. So I think maybe he steps in, maybe just in the way that their defense aligns. He's kind of that second edge rusher. Um, then you look at Will Hannes, um, transfer from Nebraska, also hurt last year, but a 72 PFF grade in 2020. He should be a good run stopper. I have questions about them against the pass. Um, but again, you know, for, for the, both of the teams that we're talking about today, their, their pass defense has been the pass rush. Um, so, you know, then at the, yeah, at that, at that, uh, in the defensive backfield, 
two really solid corners. I'm, I'm concerned about losing. So they lost Russ Yeast and Ross Elder, kind of mm-hmm. like the Bash Bros at safety last year. I think they were two of their four best players uh, based on their PFF grade. Um, both of those guys made a ton of plays, and you're replacing them with uh, two transfers, right? So you have Josh Hayes, who um, ended up at Kansas State uh, by way of North Dakota State and then Virginia. Uh, he graded out well at North North Dakota State, but was apparently pretty bad last year. Like you know, some of the articles I read, were, maybe it's best for both parties if Josh Hayes parted way, you know, kind of thing. Um, so you know, questionable articles there. Maybe he needed a fresh start. Maybe he just didn't fit in in UVA, which you know I could see. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily fit in at UVA. So, <laughs> um, so you know, you can't really fault him there. But uh, well, you know, certainly a question mark considering what they lost. Um, and then the other guy, Kobe Savage, was was at Tyler Juco last year. Um, not highly recruited. He had good stats and stuff. But again, you know, I mean, Kansas State was recruiting against like Eastern Kentucky and, and schools like that for his services. So, you know, I think the the best case scenario, the way that this, this uh, defense is probably going to want to play is uh, count on the corners to be good, get after the passer, and then hope that the rest of it isn't so bad that like teams can are breaking big plays like mm-hmm. against that, you know what i mean yeah yeah i completely agree with that um yeah i, I do think that the strengths are probably in the corners and the pass rush and hey in this in this league that might be enough um yeah. it might be. Know, I, I think the the quarterback play in this league this year is not fantastic you know maybe this is the year you can get away with like a, a fresher defense or have some some holes in the defense um but well i hope so yeah um, for our sake. Yeah. So Kansas State, you know, I think a lot of, I guess they're kind of the the fifth team. I, I don't remember, but I assume they were the fifth team in the media poll for the Big 12. You know, we kind of talked about the two Oklahoma schools, Texas and Baylor. Um, Kansas State was kind of the fifth in line. Do you, do you kind of still agree with that? Do you think there's a team above them? Oklahoma State's the one team we still haven't covered, but... Um, you know, do you still feel like they're kind of on the outside in, or do you think that they have just as good of a shot as Texas or anybody else? I mean, um, thoughts. So I, I buy them as the fifth team, but I like again, you know, like I said, I if there are five teams, you know, if we're going to say that that top tier is is simply, I would not be surprised teams. Then I would say, yeah, they're probably one of those five teams. Mm-hmm. Um, big caveat asterisk. You know, everything goes right. Right. Which I think is what we kind of, uh, I think that's, what was the name of the, the tier we had them in like dangerous if, if things go right. Yeah. I think like, I, I still, I still subscribe to that, you know, like if everybody stays healthy on the offense, um, and if the pass rush is as good as it seems like it's going to be to the point where maybe, maybe, you know, any deficiencies on the back end aren't really exposed, then yeah, I think, you know, they absolutely have as good of a shot as, as Texas. And I think you kind of said, yeah, I'm not sure that there's, you know, there, there's not an unwinnable game on the schedule for the best version of this team. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And um, yeah, I think this team could punch up with any team and yeah, this team could also maybe lose to some teams they're not supposed to like a, you know, like a, a TCU that just is lighting it up and plays good enough defense one day. Like yeah. I, I think, I, I still feel decent about our tiers and I've kind of felt decent about our tiers for most of the teams we've talked about. Um, this thing could go really right for, for Kansas state, or it could just be another seven win season or whatever, which is fine. Um, I don't know what expectations are in Manhattan this year, you know, getting picked in the middle of the conference, but having this like dark horse buzz, you know, I'm sure they're drinking their own Kool-Aid. 
as we uh, as we do ours. So um, I think this could be a really fun offense. I'm just really excited to see. Um, this could be a really frustrating offense to play against because this is, could be one of those teams that just runs zone read a bunch and, uh, has the ball for like nine minute drives and, uh, you know, Kansas state nightmare, like fundamental football. Um, yeah. So, so, so what's the, uh, the number for K state this year? Okay. So the number is six and a half, six and a half. Wow, that feels really low. Um, yeah, South Dakota to start—that's a win. Yep. Missouri, I think you're definitely at home. I think you're really favored there. Then you get Tulane. I mean, you could easily be three and zero, yep. and you're almost halfway there. Uh, you know, wow. So, so Tulane, that, Texas Tech. I mean, you could be five and two after TCU. Mm-hmm. And then Kansas. You haven't played Kansas yet, so that's six. So they have to beat one. They could beat one of the top four teams in this. Oklahoma, Texas, Baylor, and West Virginia. You have to win one of those four games. Just Um, one. I mean, I feel I feel pretty good about that. I mean, that team could be three and zero, and that Oklahoma game could be really interesting in Norman. That could be a really interesting game where you know we see what both of these teams are made of. Yeah, because you know again. Kansas State brand is that they're not going to beat themselves. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, Oklahoma, super talent. I mean, you know, teams like that have given Oklahoma fits in the past. You know, Kansas State, I think, has knocked them off once or twice. Iowa State has definitely knocked them off once or twice just by being those teams who, you know, they're not going to they're not going to give the game away. Basically, they're the opposite of West Virginia where they're not going to shoot themselves. They're not going to snap the ball through their quarterback's hands on the Oklahoma 30 yard line with like six Mm. minutes left. Right. So, um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, man, I'm looking at this and again, you know, I I think really what you're betting on here is, um, Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn to stay healthy. If you think they're going to stay healthy, I think they hit, I think they hit seven wins without, I don't want to say without a ton of trouble, but I think it's a safish bet. Again, you know, you're looking three and oh at a conference at Oklahoma. Yeah. So that's three and one, Texas Tech, four and one, Iowa State. Uh, at Iowa State, probably a coin flip. But then you have at TCU, I think, you know, Kansas State will be favored there. So five and two at worst. Mm-hmm. Then Oklahoma State's tough, you, you know, but it's homecoming. So who knows? Um, Texas at Baylor at West Virginia. In West yeah, Virginia, I, I, I like the spot we get them if we subscribe to the depth being their problem. We get them yeah. the second to last week of the season. Deuce Vaughn's sure. going to have 600,000 carries on his body at that point. A lot of mileage. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, no, I mean, so if you if you think those guys are going to stay healthy, then I think that over is probably a safe-ish bet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, again, one, one snap away from – from uh, all that falling apart. So I don't know. Again, yeah, no, I think, I think um, where we had them dangerous if things go right, probably in part of that group of would not be surprised to see them in, in, uh, in the championship game. I think those, those all still apply. Um, But there are ways that it could go wrong too. Yeah, no, for sure. Awesome. So I think that, that pretty much wraps up K state. We have, we only have one more deep dive left. Um, we have covered 11 of the 12 teams West Virginia plays this year. Yep. Um, so next week we're covering Oklahoma state 
Um, that will be our final, well, not our final deep dive. I think next week, as of now, we're just doing Oklahoma State, so maybe a shorter episode. Um, the following week, we're going to deep dive the West Virginia Mountaineers. Um, so that'll be fun. Get to mm-hmm. get to talk about the home team. And I think we might double that up with a betting extravaganza. Um, do some Big 12 picks. Maybe do, you know, some, do some win total picks. Maybe some prop bets that we find that we like. Um, and just kind of talk about some betting numbers. And then the following week is the pit preview. It will be game week. Um, that is so exciting. Crazy. That is very Crazy. exciting. Yeah. Like I said, I just booked my book, my lodging, my, my arrangements. So it feels real. It feels real now. Awesome. Are you, are you taking a double? You taking the Thursday and Friday off for that one? Uh, Probably a half day Friday. I think yeah. so. My plan: I'm gonna head up Wednesday evening, um, just so I don't have to try and check in somewhere at like four o'clock on the day of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, definitely take Thursday and then get up and drive back Friday morning. And if I feel guilty about how much time I've missed, I'll probably retrospect retroactively put in uh, for some for some time off. But hopefully, I make it back early enough where I can, you know, work a full seven eight hours um, before things things kick off on friday evening so yeah it's the it'll be the extra long weekend for those who do because it's the uh the monday is off as well um Mm -hmm. so it's gonna be an exciting week first weekend of well it's not really the first weekend of college football but it's the first weekend that there's like any game that you probably want to watch like there's uh, the week before week zero there's like 10 games but nothing too intriguing so yeah um we're the we're the uh quote unquote start of the season yeah, we're the unofficial official kickoff game of the season. Um, yep. Like you, you don't need your cable package set up until like the last day of August. Like you know, you're fine. <laughs> you're not really gonna miss anything. Yep. Um, start your free subscription the day before. You're you know, you'll be fine. Yep. Beautiful. Well, um, that's another episode. Of West by Pod. I'm Joel Bracken at WV Stats Guy. He's Jordan Pinto at Game Day Shorts. We're on SmokingMusket.com. Uh, we're on all the platforms you listen to podcasts on. Uh, yeah, if you guys have anything, uh, questions or comments, uh, let us know on Twitter. Um, the uh, the pod has an account. It's at West by Pod with underscores. Like I said, also hit us up on SpokeyMusket.com. And uh, that, that's all I got, Jordan. Well, I got nothing. Cool. Well, <laughs> thank you guys for listening, and we will catch you next week.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.